Welcome to the Cozy Cozy Podcast. We're here to create comfort along the entrepreneurial journey and really the life journey. Join us for inspiring, dynamic conversations that make the arduous process of venturing out into the unknown feel more doable because we believe in making the impossible possible. We hope you'll join us as we play in the infinite. So pull up a seat, grab a blanket, let's get cozy. Welcome back to the Cozy Cozy Podcast. For all of you who are like me and astrology loving or just present to universal energy and a noticer of when things are, I don't know, flowing or not flowing, um, feeling stuck or not stuck, just really present to kind of what's in the air, right? And we've been moving through the spring portal that leads us to summer and the April showers, if you're at least on the East Coast or Midwest East Coast, have been super heavy over the last week or so. And I am so ready for sunshine and I'm so happy that as this hits your ears, the eclipse season is over. It has been just like I just want to reference some eclipse stuff for you guys before we dive into the interview. And some of the things I've moved through energetically over the last two weeks because uh, it's been crazy. And it's also just like so on time. And so like in hindsight, oh, that's hilarious, right? So we just had an eclipse season with a Mercury and retrograde and um, it was a lot. I drove 35 – I woke up – I woke Declan up early from his nap to drive 35 minutes to do a school tour. The school was deserted. They were on spring break. I don't know why someone told me to come to a tour when they wouldn't be there. Um, I had people not show to meetings. I had links not working. I had letters not get delivered and be returned to me. Uh, miscommunications on so many things and – just like, you know, getting stuck in the rain without an umbrella, lots of little things that were frustrating me. So I just want to start there because that's behind us now. And I think it's also just a nice nudge to remind us all that there's we're always sort of uh, available for uh, the water we're swimming in to impact us if we're not super energetically um, – guarded. Um, and also it is the water we're swimming in. You can only guard it so much. We are all connected. And I just feel really called to say that because even if you try to quote, avoid something, the thing that is the gift about Mercury and retrograde and eclipse season is that it's sort of like pinballing through the universe. Like it is going to tell you where it wants you to go and you really can't do anything about it. Uh, and it's there's the lesson there is to be in surrender. So, so much of what we're going to talk about today with our guest, Lauren Mages, is going to be about the surrender to pregnancy, the surrender to birth. I mean, the ultimate experience in birth is, I mean, the ultimate experience in surrender is birth. There is, in my experience, no greater surrender. And when I think back about my birth story, which a lot of you have listened to, um, man, I think I was not surrendering. And that was part of the spiritual 
uh, energetic going on there with why it took me so long to birth. Uh, but today is going to be wonderful, you guys. There's so much I learned in conversation with Lauren and I know her very well. We go back literally over a decade and yet I learned so much and I think the highlight and what kind of brought us here to record this episode is the fact that she had a really empowering birth story. And um, there's another episode in our 300 plus episodes here at Cozy Cozy called Empowering Birth with He He Stewart, who is a very well-known doula who has a doula practice. And this is a very similar title, totally different story, totally different interview, um, because we're really tracking Lauren's experience and her birth story. And I'm already naming this a part one because we didn't get to the postpartum part. uh, And we're going to do another deep dive on her postpartum experience as a reframe of what can be possible. And I'm going to share more on my postpartum experience as well. But today we talk again about different options you have and the power and control that you do have during birth, which is also sort of hilarious because you're dealing with a little spirit baby who has their own plan, right? And you're dealing with doctors, potentially you're dealing with midwives, you're dealing with doulas, you're dealing with your partner, and you're dealing with your body. So it's a really complex thing that's also the most natural thing. And we cover everything from tearing to pelvic floor, um, prep to um, the fetal ejection reflex and I being someone who cannot wait to give birth again uh, because it was such a profound experience loved this conversation so if you are thinking about getting pregnant you will love this if you're pregnant if you're postpartum it is for you anywhere along the perinatal journey so I'm going to read a little bit about Lauren's bio and then we'll dive into the episode So Lauren is a movement educator and specialist and a functional medicine certified health coach. She obtained a bachelor's in athletic training from Miami University and a master's in sports performance from Ball State. Her professional experiences range from D1 college softball and dance to sports medicine, physical therapy. In this time, Lauren studied postural restoration techniques, techniques, if you guys know PRI, the Pilates method, and multiple facets of functional medicine, all of which shape the way she serves her clients. Lauren believes strongly in holistic wellness and integration when dealing with physical symptoms. The human body and experience go far beyond bridging the gap between therapeutic intervention and fitness, and Lauren believes in working with the mind, body, and spirit for more comprehensive care and vitality. She has developed a mind and movement subscription aiming to help clients move the needle quicker with their physical symptoms and goals by utilizing the teaching of functional movement, autonomy, and incorporating health coaching for integrative movements. Lauren is passionate about women's health and working on women working with women who are suffering pelvic health issues. She particularly feels called to help women navigating the newness and transition of the postpartum journey. Lauren believes in women's health both physically and physiologically and believes they are misunderstood and often treated as separate issues rather than full integrated systems. She hopes to give women the tools and education about their bodies in order to restore their confidence, love, and autonomy towards their physical capabilities. So, That is, in a nutshell, who Lauren is. I'm so excited for you guys to get to know her better. And then finally, Lauren is hosting a postpartum prep workshop that is coming very soon. So you're hearing this on May 7th. The first one is in person in Raleigh, North Carolina 
on May 13th, and then there's one that I will actually be speaking at May 20th. The formal title of the workshop is The Prenatal Preparation for Postpartum Restoration, which I love. It's a mouthful, and I love it because it's so spot on. It's about supporting you and your fourth trimester journey. So we'll learn about nourishment, why it's important, and how to manage it. Pelvic floor support, my favorite, labor prep and postpartum recovery, and mindset coaching, navigating the mental and emotional shifts of motherhood. So it starts at 9 a.m. on May 20th. I'm going to put a link to the uh, workshop in the show notes. And again, I will be speaking for the mindset portion, which I'm so excited about. So um, the one thing I will also say is that if you are someone who is maybe further out postpartum, like you are a year or two years postpartum, it's also potentially a great idea to pop into this because I know some people and I consider myself one that had such a rough postpartum, it's really impacting the way they think about having a second kid and what, how would they even do that while having a toddler running around or a child running around. So um, it really is for anyone who is in the perinatal space, uh, childbirthing age, contemplating it. And I think, Lauren, I've seen the deck. I've seen the format of the workshop. There's so much there that we're going to cover. I'm super excited about it. So... Let's get into the episode. Make sure you click the link if you uh, are interested in diving into that workshop with us. Um, And yeah, I hope you guys love this episode. We uh, are prepping for a Mother's Day email at Cozy Cozy, so look out for that. If you are not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can click the show notes as well to connect with Cozy Cozy and all of the fun things that we have going on. Hoping to get an event going in August in Boston, which will be super cool, Um, and we're sending out details again in the newsletter. So I hope you guys love this episode. I am rambling now. Let's get into it. Welcome to the show, our guest of honor today, Lauren. All right, Lauren, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's going to be a good one. We're going to go yeah. through all the layers of all the things. Uh, and before we do, I want to ask you the only standard question of the season, which is, who are you? Who is Lauren before titles, labels, Instagram? I don't know. Grid posts. Who is Lauren? Yeah, um, I think I think the way I would answer that is I am a constant evolving work in progress. So how I am today or tomorrow is not going to be how I am maybe in 10 years. Um, I love to learn. I'm a super curious and creative person as long as I stay out of my own way. Um, cause I am a type six Enneagram. So I very much can get up into my head. Um, I'm definitely a lover, not a fighter, but I do love a good debate <laughs> intellectually <laughs> speaking, yeah, you do. um, love a good debate. But yeah, like when I watch people physically fight, it like makes me sick to my stomach because I'm just like, oh, I I don't know how people can do that to each other. I just I want to hug people. I don't want to punch someone in the head. <laughs> um, <laughs> and overall, I think I'm, I would just say that, like, I love meeting people. I love learning about people and their lives, what makes them tick, stories they have. Um, and I think that's also because I'm a bit of an old soul. I had a father who was much older when I was conceived. And so I've grown up around the grandparent age um, with a lot of different people. And I really 
enjoy talking to older people. <laughs> and I think that's because I'm kind of old, like in the best way possible. So that that is that is a little bit about me. Well, it's funny because the listeners may not know this, but we met in college. And as you were saying that, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. These are all true. Like I'm like having, like, I remember <laughs> you getting into debates with people at a bar or whatever, yes. <laughs> like very good banter, very articulate, like, you know, your stuff and you really enter debates when you, uh, when you know your stuff, which that is so funny. Oh, I, like, I remember picture, that. <laughs> I have an image in my head of you doing it. Um, which is not, kind of an interesting question that, that leads me to, because my guess is a lot of the people listening are somewhere in or around or near their thirties. Thirties is like sort of, it's not middle aged in my mind, but it's sort of that like age where most people have at least thought about having kids. Um, mm-hmm. Most people have at least thought about getting married. Like, you know, at 22, you're like, oh, I don't even know if I've thought about it. Sure. And um, and then now people are having um, babies in their 40s. But the question that I have is because we've known each other so long, how do you think you have evolved? Like, how would you wrap up your evolution post-grad till now mm-hmm. with what you're doing, your work in the world and that curiosity and constant learner self that you are. Um, yeah. Talk to us about that shift. Yeah. I think, um, three big things to get on my head almost immediately. One educationally, I have learned so much more, um, from the career I started with to where I am now, like just about the human body and everything that encapsulates like health and wellness, mind, body, and spirit. Um, so that honestly has shaped a lot of my life, even outside of my work life. I think that's one thing Two, um, going through a lot of struggles in my twenties, like your twenties are, can I, can I cuss on here? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Twenties are fucking hard. Um, they were, it was a really hard decade for me. There's a lot of great stuff. Don't get me wrong, but, um, trying to find myself was difficult. And I think going through a huge grieving process when my dad passed away, in addition to finding myself spiritually has given, has really propelled me into the most growth that I just could have never anticipated. And I think was the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, obviously I would much rather my dad be here Earthside. However, um, it did make me face death. And when you have to face death, your entire, I don't want to say your entire life. That's maybe, um, a little inflammatory, but your life really can change because your perspective changes. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that was a huge turning point for me in my life. So ways that I acted or, um, you know, how I thought about things in college are probably completely different now, even just because Mm -hmm. of me going through that grieving process. And then of course, again, just finding spirituality um, was a big one too. Wow. I think, I think anyone listening can probably attest to like some type of something they had to overcome in their twenties. And like, I, it's like, I, I loved it and wouldn't go back. Yeah. Like it was just so much, so hard. And, Uh um, and I think, you know, grief is just, I mean, mastering, having to figure out not, it's not that it's something to be mastered, but to move through that in your twenties is like, I can't imagine. So that is, um, yeah, 
It is very, it's very challenging. I'm actually not even the only person in my family who has lost a parent at a very young age. Um, so I've seen death my whole life, but whenever it's your parents and when it feels like it's far too early, you're like, you're not even going to get to see most of my life. Um, it shifts your perspective. And at the same time, I'm so grateful that I've gotten to experience it. Um, I hope people can understand what I mean by that Yeah, because it has made me the person I am today. And I think that I really have a unique perspective on life because of it. Like I love aging. I honestly think I'm getting better as I age. I can't wait to keep getting older. Um, so I don't, I don't know. That's, that's just me. <laughs> Well, I love that you have shared something so, yeah, so vulnerable and so big um, as it informs how you are here on earth, right? And what you've moved through. Um, yeah. I want to kind of talk about, um, you know, birth and your birth story and motherhood, but um, update everyone on your work and what you were most focused on prior to pregnancy, because you are one of those people that I feel like I could always be like, well, what do you think's going on with my back? Or what do you think's up with this? And you would just like have an answer for me, which always made me feel good mentally. And at the same time, I can imagine, you know, so much and to your Enneagram six point, which we can get into, um, it might be a lot to like know yeah. about going into something as kind of intense as birth. So update us on what you were doing professionally when you got pregnant and yeah. what you're doing now, and then we'll back into your birth story. Hundred percent. So when I got pregnant, I um I was still at that time and am now running my own business where I basically do movement therapy with people. So I like to bridge the gap between therapy, like physical therapy, to fitness, and I utilize the Pilates method and a lot of other things that I've learned um, in order to do that. Um, additionally, while I was pregnant, I was actually going through the Functional Medicine Health Coaching Academy. And becoming a certified functional medicine health coach, which just really, I think, enhanced how I talk to people about their bodies, um, because there's a lot of psychology behind health coaching if you go through a, a really good program. So that's what I was doing then. And I was kind of just focusing on everybody, like just overall health and wellness. Let's make sure we're incorporating mind, body, and soul because physical pain can manifest from a lot of other things besides musculoskeletal dysfunction, right? Mm. And then going through the pregnancy process, it just really opened my eyes to how bad, <laughs> how bad our country is with supporting women, even just physically yeah. through the prenatal and postpartum process, not to mention all of the mental and emotional stuff that goes with it. So, um, I decided kind of mid pregnancy, like I'm going to shift my practice and I'm going to niche it a bit. So now I'm doing women's health in general, but also working more with prenatal and then postpartum women, um, having the option to do just the physical work, if that's what a mom wants, needs, or only has the time for. But then I also have a specific program where we do health coaching in addition to movement. Um, if someone's needing a little bit more of a deep dive with things, um, I do work with a lot of chronic pain people. Mm. So I find that we have to talk about the mind um, when we're going through any form of movement 
yeah. practice or so that is what I am doing now. Mm. It's so interesting. You bring up that last point because I think about, I would say the, the three months before I got pregnant were probably like a peak moment or like a Zenith of my spiritual journey with like releasing stuff, like just moving through a lot of stuff that when I look back at my pregnancy, I don't think about like, you know, I had, you know, some aches and pains that you get like some round ligament pain or whatever. But what's interesting is like when you're describing them, like, wow, I cannot imagine being pregnant if I hadn't released a lot of what I had released because I know it's like, you're carrying that and you're carrying a baby and it's, it's so much. Um, It it is a lot. It is, it is a lot. You know, I think honestly, like at night, I'm not just saying this because I'm on your podcast and because we're friends. Um, had I not worked with you literally right before I got pregnant, the timing was crazy. <laughs> the timing was, it's, it was divine timing. Um, it, had we not talked about a lot of the inner child stuff, um, had I not learned about human design, I, I don't know if I would have had the same experience. Um, well, I wouldn't have had the same experience, right? I just don't know if it would have felt as nourishing overall had we not worked together because up to that point, the work that I had done had been very traditional kind of um, Western mindset therapy work, which was still like talk therapy is still wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a place for it for everybody, but then really getting deep into spirituality and quantum physics and because I like the sciencey stuff still, yeah. but I also am very faith-based. Um, I just think that that enhanced, enhanced yeah. my pregnancy just that much more. So a lot of that I think is also thanks to you. Oh, well, thank you. It, it's, uh, I re- I remember like just the consciousness around your conception, like mm-hmm. you were like, I'm ready for this. I want this. I hope this is the, like, you were just so conscious. And I know not everyone has the opportunity to be conscious around their conception because they weren't even planning on it. And it's like a happy accident miracle that just kind of like shows up and everyone has a different journey, but there are a lot of people listening that are on journeys and are trying to bring consciousness to it. So, um, anyway, I think it's just a really important layer to like continue to acknowledge throughout our talk and, um, glad that we're even, uh, even there around, mindset and spirituality as it connects to our physical body and the vessel that we are to, to be carrying life, which is still mind blowing to me every day. <laughs> like you're here. <laughs> How, do we do this? How is this even possible? Um, it's fantastic. Um, so talk to us about your pregnancy and how you spent your pregnancy. Um, with the knowledge you have around the body, like what were some of your pillars throughout pregnancy that kept you feeling like aligned, healthy, well, whatever word you want to use with, again, the science background that you have around the structural body, biology, health coaching, all the things. Yeah. So I will not lie. I did not love being pregnant. Um, right. When I found literally, I found out I had COVID and then 24 hours later found out I was pregnant. So Mm. Um, the first trimester, I never had nausea and never vomited, which was wonderful. Um, except for brushing my teeth that always made me gag, which is so funny. I was like, what the hell? This sucks. Um, (laughs) but I had COVID, um, and was pregnant and, you know, I don't know for sure if COVID was the cause of this or if this is something I had ahead of time, but then I became very anemic. 
So I was so incredibly fatigued, even just walking or even eating. Um, yeah, it was miserable. It was very miserable. Um, luckily I got on all the things I needed to, to help correct the anemia. And then I felt a lot better, but that was the start of my pregnancy journey. So that was, that was a bit hard. Um, and you and I were still working together when I was going through all that. It was, there were some days we would get together and I was like, Garrett, I can't, I can't focus. I feel like shit. (laughs) Um, yeah. So I think even with that being the start of things, um, it really tested me mentally. And I was like, I need to now really hone the skills that I've developed when it comes to my mindset. So I think I doubled down on journaling. Mm. I tried all different types of meditation. I tried meditations that brought me inward with my body. I brought, I did meditations that brought me outward, um, you know, that were more guided, Mm. taking me through a journey into a safe space kind of a thing. I tried chakra balancing, like all these things, um, did a lot of breath work too. So I think it was kind of the perfect storm to force me to really enhance those mindset skills. Yeah. And so as my pregnancy went on then, and I started feeling a lot mentally better about being pregnant um, and enjoying it more, then I kind of turned my focus to my physical body. Um, because knowing a lot about the pelvic floor, I was like, I really, I really want to try to prep my body for labor and delivery to then also have a really smooth recovery postpartum. So I did a lot of pelvic floor relaxation work, Mm -hmm. um, tried to keep my rib cage as mobile as possible. And then eventually I, when I got into my third trimester, um, that's when I kind of just started planning for my fourth trimester. And I was like, wow, fourth trimester sounds like it's a pretty big deal. It's something I had no idea was like an existed concept prior to getting pregnant. So I just like prepared as much as I could, like, okay, I'm going to need food. Cause I have no family here in North Carolina where we live. So I was preparing food. I was continuing to hone in on my mindset skills. I was continuing to focus on my body. Um, and then come up with a plan afterwards. Like if I need a pelvic floor PT, who can I go to in the area? If I need mental health resources, who could I go to? Um, so honestly, I felt like for the most part, having all that knowledge was extremely helpful for me. And on the flip side, there are definitely also times, even still, where I have so much knowledge that it can be extremely overwhelming, especially when I get into my type six head and I go, what if, what if, what if, what if, Mm. you know, having a plan is great, but there is such a thing as planning too much for some people. And I am one of those people. Mm. (laughs) So, um, it is a delicate balance. I definitely have to create a lot of awareness around because I can really get into my head because sometimes I know too much mm. and I'm dangerous to myself. Um, so that's kind of just, yeah, I hope that answered your question. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I have so many follow-up questions and I was just to your very last point. It's funny because it's like the, what ifs then create the, like, almost like you're, you're like, it makes me, cause I have a, a wing six, but like, like you want to like, make sure you're not manifesting the what ifs. Yeah. Energy on them. Yes. Which I know that I definitely did in some cases. Like I, I, or I should say, I feel very strongly that I did. Um, so yes, (laughs) that is a thing. You're like, okay, I don't want to like, I want to be prepared and I don't want to like manifest the worst case scenario happening. Um, see, and for you, like you had already done so much work even way before being pregnant. So did you feel like by the time you were pregnant that you were very aware of both sides of the coin with that? 
Yeah, I think I was like, part of me was like feeling like I was sitting back with my popcorn, like watching what happens because I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, am I going to have an easy one? Am I going to gain 60 pounds? Which I did. Am I going to, you know, what kind of birth am I going to have? Um, so there was like a part of me that was definitely like the observer, but then there was a part of me that was also like really scared. Like I do remember a really uh, big amount of fear in my body. Oh. And we know that fear makes us, you know, like clench and like tighten. And yeah. I did a breathwork session with um Anna Lilia, who had been on this podcast. And she was like, I'm getting like fear and freedom coming up for you. Like really wanting a lot of freedom, fear of losing freedom, but also like just a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, like then I fa it's like I manifested the most the most fearful situation at the hospital with all the interventions. And I'm sure listeners can go back and listen to my birth story, but, um, there was, there was definitely dual sides of it. It's, um, it's awful. And what I'm excited to, to go into with you is we can talk about fear with you, but it, you, you had a much ease, not easier, but like a much more potentially graceful birth than I did. Mm -hmm. Um, but before we get there, can you tell us when you said PT relaxation, like for pelvic floor, like, mm -hmm. What are some relaxation drills? And then also what are some myths about the pelvic floor? Because I feel like yeah. it's getting, it's starting to get attention, but I still think that there's some smoke and mirrors around what to do, what not to do. So yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. So, um, let's, let's hit the pelvic floor stuff first. So one, I think that all women need to understand, like your pelvic floor is not what pushes the baby out because your pelvic floor sits under the baby. It's at the very bottom of your pelvis. So when you are focusing on pelvic floor for labor and delivery specifically, really what you want to be focusing on is relaxing it partially mm -hmm. because of right. Like just everyday fears and everyday postures we have. Yes. Yeah. As we get pregnant, especially too, just the natural asymmetry that occurs in the pelvis because of your belly growing, it's shifting your center of gravity and mass, et cetera it starts to make the pelvic floor musculature uneven as well, right? So parts of it are lengthening, some parts of it are shortening. Um, so really focusing on breathing into your butt, honestly, <laughs> is what a lot of women need to focus on um, before they go into that labor and delivery, because that's the area that needs to lengthen and relax more, not just because of postural changes, but also because of stress. When we stress, we clench our butts. When we mm. clench our butts, we shorten our pelvic floor in the back. So that would be my, my first thing. Um, a great way to do that is honestly, like if you're on your hands and knees or maybe you're uh, sitting down, um, and just like gently, like bending forwards. If you bring your knees inward and your feet slightly outward, that puts you into internal rotation that actually will lengthen the back of your pelvis. And that then lengthens the pelvic floor in the back and then breathing out or down into your hips can just add this nice sensation of expansion and relaxation there. So that's something super easy that nice. every woman should be able to do, um, physically. But, um, you know, I, I, I think mostly again, and this is even what I did. I just practiced relaxing my pelvic floor in various potential birthing positions because awesome. I didn't know how I was going to deliver. I had a goal of not delivering on my back. Um, but other than that, I had no idea. So I 
did some sideline breathing, focusing on expanding the back of my hips. I was on my hands and knees. I did a squat position, but I think that that internal rotation component is what's really missing with pelvic floor preparation. Cause a lot of what we hear is, especially cause a lot of prenatal knees, yoga, out. knees out, right. Which is still relevant. Don't get me wrong. Like the, the top of the pelvis needs to be able to open as the baby starts descending. So it's very appropriate. The portion we forget about is that there's also the bottom of the pelvis, which needs to mm-hmm. open and separate as the baby starts to crown. Mm-hmm. And that's where this internal rotation part comes into play. And I think that was a huge part of me doing so well with pushing mm-hmm. um, was because I focused on breathing into my butthole. Like <laughs> I know it sounds crass, but like, that's literally what I did. It feels kind of strange, Yeah, um, but it's really good to practice now because then when you're in the moment labor and delivery, and if you're able to stay pretty calm, um, that's helpful. Wow. Another thing I want to mention is humming and really low, like tones, um, similar to humming have a vagal nerve stimulation effect. Mm-hmm which relaxes the body and also then relaxes your pelvic floor. So I would encourage women one, when you give birth, you're going to make noises. You never knew you could Mm -hmm. make, and you need to be okay with that and say, fuck it. I don't care (laughs) if that makes you really uncomfortable. That's a release. Oh my God. I I can't imagine not having made the primal noises. Like I'm like, the baby would have never come out. I know. I was like, I sound like this grizzly bear. And I don't care. (laughs) Like it just, it literally opens up your pelvic floor when you do that. So learning that, like practicing that now, and then doing it in labor and delivery, like it honestly relaxes you. Cause even if like, if you're sitting here listening to this and you go, what the hell is she talking about? There's no way just scream, scream, or make a super high pitched noise and notice how your pelvic floor grabs. Like it's not comfortable. If you then go, hmm, like you just feel this calming wave all the way down into your hips and your feet. Mm. So that would be like another thing I would just recommend doing right off the bat. That's so easy and really applies to every single woman. It's funny because last week, yeah, last week, um, I was doing all of uh, this release work and wanting to sit in pigeon. And I finally had done enough release to get to the point where I could sit in pigeon properly actually surrendered for like four minutes and the Mm. noises that start started coming out I'm like am I releasing more birth trauma because I was like I'm like I haven't heard this noise since Mm. birth which is wild and then I've never talked about this on the podcast but I've definitely brought it up with probably every client is the um vaginal vagina vocal cord connection which is on the nerve but that Uh you know, the, the throat is actually the same like physiological design as the vagina. Right. And yes. the words, it's yeah. like, we make noise when we orgasm because it's that connection, the vibration moving up and down the body. Yes. And, um, I feel like when you're not releasing or when you have stuck energy in your body, it's like, there's a disconnect between like sacral root and throat, but it's just interesting that you brought it up here. So, um, no, it's so it is so true. Um, women need to just embrace that they're going to make noises. And honestly, I will say this for me, I was able to control my tone while I was pushing. 
I was lucky enough to, and we'll get into this, I know, but like, I was lucky enough to have a midwife and a doula and the doula told me you're getting up into your throat at one point. Mm -hmm. So when I pushed next, I went lower and I relaxed so much more. And I'm like, holy shit, how did I do that? Like, wow. Yeah. And I think it's honestly because I practiced it so much ahead of time. Um, because it is a real thing and see that, that then leads me into your other question about like pelvic floor therapy now in some ways, um, pelvic floor therapy has a long way to go. I think because there's still a lot of pelvic floor therapists that only look at the pelvis. They're like, Oh, you're postpartum. You're having pelvic pain. Well, let's look at your pelvis. And it's like, okay, great. That's part of it. But we need to be looking at like all of these other things because the human body is so connected. Like what about the rib cage? Like that's one area that I immediately go to with every woman I work with. I'm like, what's your rib cage doing? How is that working with your diaphragm or not working with your diaphragm? And then like, what about the feet? What are your feet doing? Do you have some kind of cervically driven issues in your neck that are then changing your mechanics all the way down through your pelvis? Like there are so many things to look at. Um, So I encourage women to keep that in mind when you're searching for a pelvic floor PT or any PT for that matter. Um, They're only looking at the problem area. You're going to probably keep having issues. (laughs) So so funny you bring up the feet because I don't know what happened during my birth, but for like a week, it hurt to walk on my own feet. I'm Mm. like, I don't even know what was going on, but. Oh, you were probably grabbing like crazy. Probably. Yeah. I was probably pushing like into my feet too. Um, Talk to us about your, like, let's just go through your birth story to like really, yeah, get the whole, talk to us about, just start, start from the beginning. I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I will say that I had a very positive birth experience and nothing on my birth plan basically went according to plan. (laughs) None of my preferences, very few of them happened. So really we need to start two weeks before I had to be induced. Um, I had a positive GBS test, which none of my friends have had. So I had to do all this research and like, okay, wait, what is GBS? Like what? I don't understand it. It made me feel really dirty too. I'm not going to lie. I was like, Ooh, I have GBS, but that's because I didn't understand it because nobody explained it and nobody talks about it. And actually one in four women have a positive GBS test. So I will put this out there. If anyone listening to this at any point in time has a positive test, like please, you can message me on Instagram or wherever. Um, I am more than happy to talk about you, talk about it with you. But that meant that I was going to be offered and highly suggested antibiotics during labor. Mm. And my birth preference was to have no medical interventions if possible. So that was the first thing where I was like, shit, <laughs> okay. Like, okay, already being tested. Um, but I did a ton of research on the bacterial strain and found out I could reverse it. So I was like, okay, no big deal. I'm going to reverse the strain. I'm going to get retested again. If my test comes back negative, I'm denying the antibiotics. If it comes back positive, then I'll just have to make a decision about how much I'm going to fight it when I get to the hospital. Um, but I never got to retest because when I went to my 38, believe 38 week appointment, um, I noticed that my daughter's heart rate was lower than it had been even just by hearing it, like I didn't need to know what the number was. I was like, her heart rate's lower and my stomach hadn't grown in like two weeks. And I just said to the midwife, I was like, you know, my stomach hasn't really grown. The heart rate sounds kind of 
like, it doesn't sound as high as it should be. Like, are we, are we good? Yeah. And she's like, no, I think everything's fine, but you know what, just to be safe, let's just do an ultrasound. It started off very casual, went in for an ultrasound and, um, they, you know, did their thing. And then I went in for a stress test just to look at her heart rate even more while they were then analyzing the ultrasound turns out, um, one, my amniotic fluid level was as low as it could be for still being safe. Wow. Which could have to do also with hydration. I've learned since then, but I didn't know that at the time. So I didn't even ask, but even more importantly than that, um, they noticed that my placenta was calcifying and so baby girl was not getting the nutrients she needed anymore and was not growing. So that obviously is a huge concern. So I learned in that appointment within an hour and a half of being there that I needed to be induced and they were recommending that I get induced that day. Wow. Um, Yeah. That was a huge shock. And of course there were so many other things going through my head. Like for one, my husband was literally at the coast working that day. So he had to drive back two hours. I had no idea if he was back or not yet. And I was like, I don't want to go to the hospital without my husband. (laughs) Um, and of course I'm thinking, well, okay, but her heart is fine. Everything's fine. But like, is this, like, is this an emergency? Should I be concerned? I didn't know what to think. I honestly went into kind of a freeze mode. Um, looking back, I would have asked more questions, but I wasn't even thinking about it at the time. Um, Luckily I was able to go home. My husband had made it home as well. I got to pack everything up and then go to the hospital. Um, and I'll give kudos to the midwife who was working with me because I think she basically let me know that this was not an emergency, but this was somewhat getting emergent without freaking me out. You know, like she did a very, yeah, she did a very good job with that. So we, get to the hospital and, um, get into our room. And luckily we were very blessed to have great hospital systems here in Raleigh. Um, and my hospital room was beautiful. Like it was pink. There was a beautiful flower, flower mural on the wall. Like literally like all I could think of is like, I'm going to be opening my legs and my child's going <laughs> to see this beautiful flower oh my <laughs> as she comes <laughs> out. <laughs> How nice. Um, but it was a nice facility. Um, Granted, it was not my home. And I, I personally did not bring a bunch of things from my house to make me feel at home because I knew that that wasn't something I needed. Um, I had music and music is, uh, very soul giving for me. And so I had that with me and that's food too. And that's really all I needed. Um, but so anyway, we get to the hospital and, of course, the first part is having to put in a Foley bulb or yeah. I prefer to Foley bulb to start to get my cervix to dilate. Cause I did not want medicine. Um, so we start with the Foley bulb and I should also note because I was getting induced, like I knew I was going to have multiple nurses, right. Yeah. Like, Cause I did just enough research on inductions just in case it happened where I was like, I know, I know I'm going to be here for a while and I'm yeah. going to try to go unmedicated. I also know that I'm going to have to talk about antibiotics. So I need to make a decision with that. So I told my nurse, every nurse that I had, I communicated. Yes, I'll take the antibiotics for the GBS only because of the 0.02% chance she had of contracting it and then having very severe consequences. I couldn't live with myself if that happened, knowing it could have been prevented. So I had antibiotics, but I, I told every nurse 
this is why I'm very hesitant with the antibiotic use. This is what I would like to have happen knowing I'm having an induction. I would like to go pain med free, blah, blah, blah. Like I just communicated with them right off the bat about what I would like to have happen, assuming nothing else goes awry. And I think because I communicated that right from the top with everybody, I just think that that made my experience potentially smoother because the nurses knew exactly what I was thinking, where I was coming from. There was no guesswork with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And luckily I had really good nurses who I think for being Western medicine based were maybe more open-minded than, than some. Um, but that also made me feel like I was still somewhat in control of what I was about to go through because a lot of things were not going to be in my control anymore. Right. So you get the Foley bulb in and, um, luckily it worked. I dilated four centimeters All throughout that time when my body started contracting, I put on like a four hour track of just like monks that were chanting. Wow. So yes. So I found this ahead of time because I was like, okay, I know that this is one thing again, like we talked about earlier, the vagal stimulation, like relaxing the pelvic floor. Um, I listened to that for like four hours, I think. And then I got into such a meditative state that I didn't even realize when the track had stopped and I was still like oming with the track that like wasn't even on. Um, and my husband slept through me doing that the whole time. So (laughs) it was very nice. Like I felt very peaceful, honestly, like having this stupid thing hanging out of my vagina. Yeah. Um, no, I know the Foley bulb sucks, but at least for me, it worked. I've heard some horror stories about other women with Foley bulbs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I think me coming up with that chanting was also helpful because it, yeah, it kept me relaxed, kept me calm. So luckily mine worked. And then before they started me on Pitocin, they offered me my quote unquote last meal, which let me just tell all the moms out there. I ate during my labor. I stopped food. I'm, you can do whatever you are comfortable with. I was not worried about aspirating. If I had to go under anesthesia, I was much more worried about continuing to feed my body nutrients and calories. Yeah. So, done that. you know what though, gear, but like, even, even with me bringing food, like I could have easily brought stuff and then like had a change of heart. Right. Like I could have been like, oh, I don't know. I'm nervous to do that now. Like you just, you never know how yeah. you're going to respond. Yeah. All you can do is inform yourself ahead of time and then be okay with the decisions you make in yeah. the moment after the fact. Right. Yeah. True. Yeah. Um, but so I start on Pitocin and of course, like it was, a, it was long. I, it took my body a while to start contracting because it wasn't ready yet. Um, it wasn't ready. And so by the time I started having contractions, it was like, okay, this is like kind of uncomfortable, but it just feels like a, you know, like a period cramp. Um, like I was like, oh, like I fucking got this. This is, this is fine. Yeah. <laughs> stupid thought. Like I was being a little cocky, I think, because then of course the contractions got stronger and then I was having about minute long contractions with only like 30 seconds of rest. Yeah. That part was, I'm like, give me a rest. Like have the break in between. Oh yeah. It, it gets to be very challenging in an induction, like as you keep contracting for so long. Um, and by this point I had been contracting for about 24 hours, I believe, give or take a little bit of time, but it did get to a point where I was like, I need to have a break. Cause I had been doing that for an hour. 
So I asked my, well, first I asked my doula. I was like, I was like, I mean, do you think like they would turn this down? Like, I don't think I need this much Pitocin at this point. I feel like my body's taking over. And she was like, I definitely think it's worth asking. And she then also stood up for me when the nurse came in just in case we got like any kind of pushback about it. But then the nurse was like, no, absolutely. Like we can, we can turn it down. Cause yeah, you have been contracting quite a lot for a while. She turned it down. Luckily I got a little bit of a break. I laid down and then I fell asleep. Uh, which is a problem. I mean, it was, it was actually kind of a blessing because I, I did get a little bit of rest, but it then relaxed my body so much. Um, and I don't think my body actually was quite taking over. So then my contractions went to two to four minutes apart, which mm. of course then prolonged everything. And the nurse came back in eventually and was like, we're going to have to turn it back up because yeah. things are stalling a little bit. In the meantime, my midwife came in and asked me if I wanted to do a cervical check. I said, yes, at this point, um, I tried to do those minimally because I didn't want hands in and out of me. Cause that of right, course, yeah. Is, yeah, like it's just not clean yeah, infection. Yeah. Um, and so she checked me and she's like, and you haven't made much progress with your cervix. That was a huge bummer, right? I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Like now I'm getting to the point where it's like, things aren't moving quickly, but Luckily, like my midwife was super supportive and like really sat down with me and explained like what that meant, you know, talked about my water breaking. She's like, you know, your water hasn't broken yet. I really don't want to break your water for you because then that does speed things up. And then we are on a little bit of a clock. Yeah. And so again, I think I just, I think I lucked out with having a wonderful staff in general, but I also think because I was very engaged in everything that was going on. And I was talking with them about things and asking questions and not just settling for what they were telling me. Um, I think that opened up very healthy dialogue between everybody in the room. Nice. So I always felt very supported in any decision that I made. Um, so at that point we turn up the Pitocin again, and now, now I'm like, okay, I know I'm going to have this baby at least within the next 12 hours. Like now I, I have to like really get serious here because I want my water to break. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to have a vaginal delivery. Um, and I really don't want to have to have pain meds, but I'm getting really tired. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we start doing all the things that, you know, my doula suggesting all these movements. I go on a couple of walks. I'm squatting. I'm lunging like yeah. the hospital, oh my which gosh. I thought at first I was like, I feel ridiculous. And I was like, what am I talking about? People do all kinds of stuff in here. Like no one cares. Like no one's even yeah. paying attention to me. Um, and so eventually we get to the point where I'm like, I have to go sit down. Like I am contracting so hard it's, I had been in the hospital at this point for like two days. Um, and I'm like, I am exhausted. I need to go back to the room. We go back in the room. I literally remember laying my hands on my hospital bed. And all of a sudden my water just goes, wow, a huge gush of water. And I was like, yay, (laughs) I'm about to have a baby soon. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, But then the odd part was like, you hear about like women's waters breaking and you hear them talk about like, it's one big gush or it's like a consistent trickle. Mine was one big gush. Okay. Let's start walking towards the bathroom. Another big gush. Okay. Let's walk to the bathroom a little more. Another big gush. And I was like, 
why do I keep, like, I felt like my water broke three different times. Wow. It was so odd. Um, so there was like water all over the floor. Oh my gosh. It was crazy. So we get into the shower. Cause I'm like, okay, I would like to shower before we really start getting into like the final stages of labor. And I really start contracting. And within minutes, I went from like 60% to 120% with my contractions, like the Whoa. consistency, the frequency, the, um, discomfort and pain that I started to feel. Yeah. Luckily I was in the shower. So it was actually a perfect place for me to start doing that because the water dripping on my back felt amazing. Mm. Um, and at that point, my doula, of course, then really started her job. She sat me down on a ball. She put another ball under my arms. I was like leaning over this like little seat that they had in the shower in the hospital room. And I started my labor there and I was there for about 45 minutes. Wow. Laboring. Um, I kept getting feedback at that point from my doula of like my, like your shoulders are tensing, like your jaws tensing. See if you can breathe into those areas. See if you can make those low tones. Mm. And that was super helpful to have her doing that. So for wow. anyone listening, whether you hire a doula or not, maybe ask your partner to be yeah. that person for you and to observe that that's going to give them a task to do. And totally. also make you feel very much a part of the process. Um, which I do think is important for both the mom. Yeah. For, yeah. For the couple. So I eventually get to the point where I'm like, I'm cold and like, I need to change positions. So we walk me back to the bed, which was very painful as I'm contracting oh, I lay on walking. my side. Yeah. Oh my God. It wasn't walking. It was like shuffling. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how long it took me to get back to the bed. And I did not care at that point, obviously. But then, um, we went right onto my side and that was the most uncomfortable position. Oh, yeah. For. Like, and I knew because of all the research I had done, if it feels uncomfortable, that's more than likely the position I need to be in in order for my daughter to shift herself around to start descending into the birth canal. Interesting. Yes. Um, so there are a lot of really good Instagram accounts, even that talk about this stuff. So the information is very accessible, but like if you have, whether you have a doula or you and your partner do any information on this, um, when you're in a birthing position that feels uncomfortable, again, that's more than likely what you need to be doing in order to help the child shift and change position so that they can descend nicely. Um, so I did that and I stuck with it for, I don't even know how long I kept doing all the verbal verbalization that I needed. My doula is rubbing my hips. We have a tens unit on my back as my back labor at that point was excruciating. Oh. Felt just like having kidney stones. So if you've ever had kidney stones, feels very similar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Until eventually I got to a point where I, I, um, I remember at one point I turned to my doula who was behind me and I said, if I'm going to keep laboring, I don't know that I can keep doing this without assistance. Like I might need an epidural. I was in transition at that point. Yeah. That's when it I was, hurts. yeah. When it hurts the work. Right. Yeah. And, but I was at that point, I would just knew that I was getting so tired and wow. my doula bless her soul. I chose her because she was very much like to the point she did not coddle me, which I wanted. Um, cause it kind of reminded me of my grandma. <laughs> I was like, I feel like I have my grandma in the room here being like, you can do this. Like women have done this before you've got this. And she just kept rubbing me. And she just honestly kind of ignored me. 
And oh, she, that's just hilarious. Kept, she just kept rubbing me because she knew like there was no way I was going to have a girl yeah. at that point. It was too late. But I kind of appreciated her ignoring me because I think I just needed to say it. Yeah. Just have some sort of affirmation of like, you can do this. Um, for her, it was very nonverbal affirmation. And I appreciated that because I am a physical touch person. Mm. I can feel people's vibrations through my body. So I was cool with that. Eventually I was like, I got to get off my side. This freaking hurts. I sit upright in bed, which felt great for about a hot second. And then all of a sudden the craziest spontaneous pushing started to occur. I love that. I had that too. Oh, oh my God, Garrett. And that's the only, yeah. Like you've talked about that of all the positive birth story podcasts I listened to no other woman really had, I think the same experience that I did. And that it sounds like you had. Yeah. The fetal ejection reflux. Yes. Like it just like, it's like in nature when you see a deer push another, like their body's just doing it. It's just doing it. Right. But for me, my body, and this is not to scare anybody. Like I want people to know in the moment, this did not scare me. It just was odd. You're like, what is you're like, I felt like I was going to throw up. Like I'd be like, okay. Okay. Instead of throwing up, it was coming out the other end. Yes. That is what I have said. I'm like, it felt like my vagina was throwing up. up. I didn't know how else to explain it. I was like, and it it convulsed me. Like it made me convulse and throw my body forward over and over again. And more liquid would shoot out. Yep. And the nurse in the room was like, I'm going to go get your midwife. You're about to have a baby. My doula also was like, you need to go get the midwife. (laughs) Wow. Um, And so One, another thing that did not happen is I did not get to birth my child in a hands and knees position or in a squat like I had hoped because I could not get out of a seated position. It was not happening. Yeah. So somehow in that moment, I told myself, okay, let your body push, relax your pelvic floor, and just know that like even being in the seated position, you are that does not mean that you are going to tear because that was my big fear was tearing. Um, so midwife comes in, I'm having these crazy convulsion contractions, but luckily with her guidance, she started to help me with my contractions. Now she did not tell me how to breathe. And that's one thing I want moms to know. If you have a midwife or an OB or someone who is trying to instruct you to hold your breath, I will say this. Sometimes it happens automatically and you can't like, you can't help it. Your body just does it. But if you find that you're being forced to breathe at a cadence that doesn't feel good to you, don't listen to them or even yeah. just ask them to stop. stop. Yeah. Um, luckily, I did not have that experience, but I also was very audibly breathing. Like I would inhale through my nose and I would exhale through my mouth. Um, and so as I was doing that, my midwife and I could feel her crowning because I had no pain meds. The crowning, honestly, the crowning, I did not mind. I was like, yeah, bring on the burn. My butthole. Really? At what? Oh my God, Garrett. Nobody could have prepared me for how much my anus was going to hurt. I feel like I kind of have a vague memory of that too. But like, the ring of fire killed me. Yeah, it was. It was so unreal. Um, But again, I breathed through it. Yep. And... I was getting to the point where like, I could tell that she was coming out or her head was crowning. And my midwife at one point goes, okay, I want you to try to hold her where she's at. Your perineum is stretching right now. And so far it's stretching beautifully. 
I have no idea how I was able to do it, but somehow I, I held her as I kept breathing and my perineum just apparently was stretching beautifully. And I did that for like two or three contractions. Then it got to the point where I was on the final push and my midwife goes, okay, Lauren, I want you to not actively don't even try to push here. Your body is going to push her out for you. So on this next contraction, I just want you to breathe. And sure enough, Lila came right out and just like, it was crazy. Like, and I just let my body do it because I knew again, like, yeah, it can. And the muscle that pushes the baby out is, is not, again, it's not your pelvic floor. It's not a muscle that you can control. You can't even do it. Yeah. No, you, you just have to breathe through it and you have to try to relax your body. Now, sidebar, the last and final piece of my labor and delivery that did not go my way was even though we had beautifully stretched out my perineum, Lila came out with a nuchal hand. Actually, I really want to call it a nuchal arm. Her arm was wrapped around her neck. So sometimes when babies come out, their hands will be like right next to their heads. Yeah. My daughter decided to wrap her arm around herself. And then as she came out, she flung it across oh, no. <laughs> the atmosphere. And unfortunately, all that beautiful work I did with the midwife, I still tore. Mm. Luckily, it was it was just a grade two tear. Um, but getting the stitching afterwards was not the most comfortable thing ever, but at that that point, yeah, it's not comfortable. But I think again, because of the skin, to skin time and that huge oxytocin release, I easily could ignore the placenta birth process as well as the stitching, because I was just like, oh my God, one, I was super proud of myself. I was Mm -hmm. like, holy crap. I just made it through an, a 24 hour plus induction without pain meds. Um, I was able to like be super in tune with my body. I had such supportive people around me, even people who maybe didn't practice the same kind of holistic medicine that I was hoping for. Yeah. Like it just was a really supportive experience. And we had such good conversations afterwards with like all the staff. Um, they showed me my placenta and it was, it looked horrible. Like it was like, you could like grind your nails on it. It was so calcified. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, wow. Yeah. Crazy stuff. But I'm like, my daughter is here. She is healthy. She was so alert and aware because, you know, I was able to do it without pain meds. Um, so that was beautiful. Like just seeing her bright, big blue eyes. And she very much knew I was mommy, obviously. Um, so it was just for having so many things go the way I didn't want them to. It was a beautiful, like the end, the kind of end experience that, yeah, yeah. it was amazing because you got to have that. It's like, you can read about it and know about it or not. Like we're doing this now. So other people can know about it, but, um, that the body can do it. And like yes. the whole, you have to push because of these metrics that we've decided you need to start mm-hmm. pushing. Like my doctors had me start pushing at 4 15 AM and Declan didn't come out till 9 50 AM. And oh similar to you right by that end mark, when I was like, I'm physically depleted, like just felt like you had run a marathon or done a triathlon or something. And you're just like, I don't have it in me. The body took over. Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm like, now I'm so excited to go through another pregnancy because I'm like, when I go to birth a second time, just having the awareness of what the body can do so that you can be empowered to say, you know what? I'm not ready to push yet. Sorry. 
you know? Yes. Yes. And I think that is the big thing with informing yourself as much as you can prior to having your child um, and informing yourself of all different facets, right? Like get familiar with what a hospital typically does, get familiar with what maybe a birth center or an at-home midwife would do. Know what your body is capable of, know what interventions are available to you to make you comfortable and calm. Cause that really is the key too. like, how can I stay calm? And if staying calm means getting an epidural, then get an epidural, right? Or, or that's what I did and it didn't work. So that's just sure. coding. like everything you described with your pain, I fully felt and I fully had an epidural needle in my back and it just didn't yeah. ever work. Well, yeah. my right leg went a little numb, but like felt the ring of fire, felt the crown, like felt the catheter, felt all the things. And to me now I'm like, to your point, it's like right when you thought you wanted it is how, when I knew the epidural didn't work yeah. because I was like, this is the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. Yeah. And I think instinctually, well, actually instinctually and verbally, I was like, I'm transitioning. Mm. Um, and so now I think it, it depends on the situation, but to your point, it's like, I could totally sign myself up and be like, I want an epidural that works. I want to get it earlier, early enough that we can redo it. If it's not working mm-hmm. to have that peaceful experience, or I'm just like, I know what this is like. I know my body can do it. And it's mm. like the pain is so hard, but like once you're in it, you're in it. Yeah. It's like a roller coaster. Like you can't get yeah. off. <laughs> like, yeah. Once exactly. It started, you're on, you're well, you know, the, the thing that always helped me too, which a lot, I've heard a lot of women actually say is when you're in the moment and things start to feel really tough. I just thought about like so many women before me have done yes. this. Like I'm not so going to die because it feels like you might die. Like I felt like a prisoner of war. Yeah, I, bet, I bet you did. I mean, you had, <laughs> you had, you had a, a I guess I mean, I would say a traumatic birth experience. It's traumatic I don't words in your mouth. Yeah, okay, no, but we can we can agree. Yeah. Okay, we can. Call, okay, you had a traumatic birth experience. Um, and even for me not having that same experience, like yeah, it is it is not comfortable. Um, but, but you had the you your between what you've shared on the team of people, the safety and the conversations, feeling I think feeling heard, mm-hmm. which we know creates safety. It's uh-huh. like. I didn't feel safe emotionally or mentally. So it sent the physical pain can cause fear. Right. So it was just like, there wasn't a lot of safety around any of it. And I think that's one of the things too, that I hope people take away from your story and that you really had strong boundaries around what would ensure that you could feel safe throughout the process, which was being on the same page, being heard, making sure that your preferences were honored to the best ability that they could. And I think that is such an underrated part of the journey. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. And again, I think that goes back to moms cannot rely on healthcare providers to give them all the information that they need, which sucks. That's not yeah, but there's just not the time for a provider to do it for, and I could go into all these details about why, but there's not the time for them to do it. And some providers are very opinionated and won't tell you all the information. Yeah. So you have to do your own research. Luckily there are, this is the great thing about social media that I've learned. Yes. To love. There is actually a lot of really good, really good. information on social media that you can find that people make into creative content. Um, So informing yourself and then having boundaries around what you would like, but then also make sure that you are open to listening. Yeah. Yeah. Two ways is very important too. 
Yes. Now, if you get to a point where you feel like you're not heard or someone is gaslighting you, okay, then go, go full blown. Like mama, mama bear. Like this is my body. This is my experience. This is my baby. Make sure that you've had a discussion with your partner too, ahead of time about any maybe expectations you have of them. I will say, um, I'm not going to get into the story, but right when we got to the hospital, there was a scenario where my husband had to stand up for me about something. We're not going to talk about what it is because it's COVID related and I'm not getting into the COVID topic, but we'll just say that he stood up for me. And in that moment, I was like, he has my back. Yep. That feels and that cool. was amazing as well. To see your energy is not being scattered in places. Yeah. Um, right. The uh, thing about social media that's interesting is when the fetal ejection reflex took over for me, I had no idea what it was. I had yeah. I it, this instinct of this is normal. This is my body. This is happening. Thank God, because I'm so exhausted. But definitely like what the heck is going on kind of a experience. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about it later. I'm like, I can't believe my doctors or nurses weren't like, hey, by the way, this is a fetal ejection reflex. Like this is what you're experiencing. This is a natural thing the body can do because I just didn't know what it was. Or maybe they weren't even paying attention. Who knows? But I actually opened Instagram maybe like 24 hours after Declan was born to like make a post about him. And the first post that popped up was called, it was like fetal ejection reflex. And I was like, what's that? Um, and then I read about it. I'm like, oh my God. So that's well, how did that, I learned what it was. Did that help you? Yeah. I think just knowing that? like, oh, that's what that was because I kept trying to describe it to Jeff. Like I didn't stop talking about the fetal ejection <laughs> reflex for like a month after I experienced it. Cause it was just such a crazy experience. Um, such a like natural instinct, phys- body's natural talent that just to witness yeah. it and be an experience, it was massive, but to have, to be able to Google something and read about it, to share with someone, oh, this is what I experienced was helpful to just be like, oh. you know what just, what just popped up for me when you were talking about that is, um, and I've heard, I've heard people say this around motherhood in general, how, because medicine has gotten so good and so advanced in some ways to our detriment, because it's actually taken us out of our instinctual, like, <sighs> oh, I, like it's taken us out of our instincts, right? Like yeah. whether it comes to anything with mothering or anything with birth and like what our bodies are capable of doing. Like, we don't even know. We don't even know. Our natural body does without Western yeah. medicine intervention, just simply because it's not talked about. Now, again, I want to stress to people, like, I am not saying that don't Western hospital is bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like we need those interventions that has saved people's lives. Like I am totally yeah. all for that. I mean, I'm all for a mom doing what makes her feel yeah. comfortable. So like, what about the wisdom? But, what, yeah, like, like, what about just, us? yes. Just like going, no, this is my body being a fucking badass. Like it is literally doing this for me. And all I need to consciously do right now Please. is yeah. try to relax. Yeah. And like, I wish that we could get back to that. Like, let's have conversations around that again, not to shame moms that don't want that to be their experience or don't want it to look like that, but let's, we're not even moms. Yeah. Yeah, Let's empower moms and let them know, like you can do this. Your body was built for this. Um, like the people who want natural or talk about a home birth, like the instinct in our country is to be like, Oh my God, that's so risky. Oh my God. Why would you do that? And it's like, Actually, there's so many more risks, technically speaking, at the hospital That's if you're a healthy pregnancy. Like we have one of the worst maternal health outcomes uh in on the planet. Like we're not ranked well. Um and 
you know, I've had a couple of, of a cousin who lives in the Netherlands and um, her sister-in-law, like she was just telling me the birth story and like the expectation is that you birth at home unless you're needing to be called in for some other type of monitoring. And sure. I think that by assuming we should be in the hospital or assuming that we will need medical it puts us into fear or distrust of our own body in the first place. Yeah. And again, to your point, I fully, you know, also think that there's a time and a place for being in a hospital. And, you know, personally, I kind of want to reclaim the hospital. I want it like mm-hmm. one birth to be like yours, like where I'm in a hospital setting, but like I have a natural birth and it's empowering. And then I also want a home birth. Like I really okay. want to do that. Um, and, you know, I think that the dialogue and conversations like this and stories like this, help people consider other options yeah, or even 100%. just their own empowerment. So thank you. hundred percent. Yes. Well, and you know, I'm interested, um, is the part of you that is curious and having a hospital birth where it is more supported and safe for you is that you think to have some closure on your birth with Declan and how things went? Like, is that why you're curious about it? Yeah. I want that. I want to not I want to have a good experience. I don't want to have this like stain in my brain on the hospital. Like I want to experience like your, like your story, right? Like I want to not have felt the way that I felt Mm -hmm. the the whole situation with Declan was so bad, but then there's also this part of me that's like, well, I don't have anything to prove. Like I could just birth at home or go to a birth center and just do the total opposite um, there's just not a lot of options in New Hampshire. So I'm also dealing with like, there's not like in Indy where my um, sister-in-law is going to give birth. There's like this place called Sacred Roots. And like, it's a beautiful birthing center. That's just like a really incredible option. That's right next to a hospital. So if I had something like that, I would probably just oh, yeah. set myself up for it, but, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. Uh, what about you? What do you think you would, you would put, out into the universe and intentions for a second birth? That's a really good question. I'm very curious about a home birth. I would love to just labor at home. That was my intention right? was to have to labor at home for as long as I could in my own space. Yeah. Go to the hospital when I needed to. Um, but I will say my husband works in medical device sales and he has seen too many emergencies. Mm. So the idea of not being at a hospital at this point is a non-negotiable for him. And I'm sure there are moms out there that would say, well, it's your body, it's your baby, it's your experience. And I a hundred percent agree. Part of my experience and what makes it so beautiful is having my husband's involvement, which means yeah. my husband staying. He has home. to feel safe too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. So for my next child, if that, if that happens, um, we will have a discussion about it. I'll see where he's at at that point. And if he still is like, I really would like for you to be in a hospital. I think because of my first experience, I will be very much okay with that. Um, and I would literally just go to the exact same OB clinic and the same hospital. I would know the policies and the procedures and, I would be totally cool with it. Um, cause I know that I'm going to get to yeah. call my own shots because I am Good. educated and informed. Right. Um, oh and I'm very okay with signing off on hospital waivers if they're like, okay, well, if you're not going to do this, you have to sign this form and I'll say, okay, great. 
Great. Let me sign. Yeah. That's not related. I will do that. You guys are 20 years behind on current research. So no problem. Oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> You're reminding me of, um, he, he Stewart who has been on this podcast. She's a pretty famous doula and she, uh, has a company called the birth lounge. It's like a doula online course, but, um, she's very, she's always making reels about like, just sign it away, like sign the form, like yeah. know your rights, know your rights. Like she's just always talking about it. So I'll, maybe I'll put her stuff in the show notes or something, but, um, I, before we run out of time, I want you to talk about what you're doing now to help women with in the postpartum and prenatal space, because I think we've hit on a lot of the com- parts of the conversation that you'll be having, but especially as they prepare for the fourth trimester, what are some of the highlights of what you're sharing with women in the workshops that you're creating um, for, yeah, preparing for fourth trimester? Yeah. So I think overall, there just needs to be this normalization of we need to prepare for our fourth trimester journey and that transition into motherhood just as much as we prepare for our child, right? Totally. Um, In the hopes that this gives us a smoother transition. Will it be perfect? No, it's not going to be perfect. Um, because challenges will come up that you don't anticipate whether it's with you or your child or whatever. Um, and there'll be tough waters that you have to wade through, but if we at least work on different parts of our mindset ahead of time, if we learn how to nourish our bodies and we learn the why behind why nourishing our bodies is important, during that fourth trimester, because of all the hormonal changes, the adrenal fatigue, we're probably going to go through how that affects how our gut affects every, I mean, like all this stuff, like the science is important to understand. And then the strategy behind, well, how can I do that in a way where I don't stress out while I'm pregnant about getting it done, but I know I have the support once the baby is here. Um, and then of course we're going to cover pelvic floor support because there is a way to prep your body for labor and delivery. I feel like I'm in a testament to that. Granted, it's anecdotal. There is, of course, evidence-based stuff within that. Yeah. But I have the story also to back it up. Like, oh, this, this, this works. <laughs> um, and then how, when you are in that postpartum period, how you can start gently supporting your pelvic floor, your core. Um, did you, I meant to ask this earlier, but before I forget, did you yeah. do any stretching? perineum stretching? No. Okay. I'm no. just curious. Cause I've heard about that and I know that oh. I tried it and it just felt really weird. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to, because I felt it can't hurt. There is the evidence on whether or not perineal stretching really helps. It's, it's just not conclusive. So there's no point. like big motivation. Yeah. There's no big motivation. And it, as fine as I am with my body, um, there was something about having to go into my vagina and pull. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, like, I just couldn't quite get comfortable with that. And I was like, by the time that I would have had to start doing it, I, I, I just, I don't know. I wasn't comfortable with it. I don't, I can't even explain really why it's just something that I felt like well, I for, definitely for people this. listening too, that like, if it doesn't feel aligned, don't do it because if yeah. there isn't any crazy supporting evidence, like I did it because, you know, someone on Instagram talked about it. Right. Like, <laughs> and I was like, well, I have the time. Why not? Sure. And I'm scared of tearing, but I think, um, that's really interesting. Sorry. I meant to ask that earlier. Um, no, it's fine. Well, and that's no part evidence. of why I did just a lot of the breathing. Like if I can relax my pelvic floor, 
then I would like to think my perineum, even though the perineum is not the pelvic floor, but like, I would like to think I can relax myself enough to where I can kind of control the pushing. Like I was able to do, which I didn't even know I was going to do so that the skin could nicely stretch. Um, but again, that doesn't mean that it doesn't work. I think there are people who probably swear by it. Um, you just have to know what you're comfortable with. Right. Yeah. But I think also circling back to the postpartum workshop, um, Mm -hmm. it's just really supportive to be able to have these conversations. And that's what you're creating the space for is to say, here's a lot of the stuff that could show up. Here's just knowing that it's on the horizon, like is helpful for you also for you to inform your partner, Hey, this might happen. What do you think about it? It's a nice, like dinner table conversation, you know, while you're pregnant, especially with your first. And, you know, as I think about having a second pregnancy, it's interesting because even though I, I have been through it and I do know what happened the first time, I also know that the second time is going to be totally different because it's a different baby. It's a different body. It's a different time. You're a different person, different person. And it's still important. So I also want to say that, like, I think that this is really important for, cause we were talking about this earlier, second time moms pretty much know what they're getting into. And I think it can be a double-edged sword though, too, because you're like, Oh, I don't really need to prep because whatever. And it's like, actually you probably need to prep more because you're going to have what feels like even less time yes. to do any supporting work for yourself because there's the other toddler running around or child right. running around. And so, and you're probably, even still more depleted. Yes. Nutrient. I mean, like just like with the body, like you're probably more depleted from your second totally. child because you've already had one. Um, and yeah. how much time you've had in between the two can affect things as well. Um, and unfortunately in Western medicine, we don't check vitamin and mineral levels, yeah. which is it's what I'm going body. through right now. Person, you know, what I talked about on my episode last weekend, um, for anyone that is interested in that, um, because you're right. Like that might be a second time moms like should do this workshop because she didn't really focus on nutrient nutrient um, replenishing after she did more of the PT. And now like if you know that by the back of the hand, you know what drills work for you. Cool. You've got that. Why not expand your horizons on how to nourish yourself this way? Like right. I've done way better. Well, I get, I don't want to give myself too much slack, but, uh, yeah. for it, but I definitely have areas I could improve on the nutrient side. Um, As do I. I mean, all of it. Well, when you're yeah. deprived, you're just like, fuck it. <laughs> right. Like, well, you know, whatever's in front is, of me. Like, if you can support your body physically and physiologically, as your hormones are shifting so much and you've developed some kind of stress reduction practice ahead of the child coming, it is going to be helpful. I can tell you that. Will it keep you from having postpartum issues? I'm not going to sit here and say, yes, absolutely. Because that would be, that would be negligent of me to say that because everybody's journey is different and things happen, right? Like, um, but still having a plan and preparing to support yourself is empowering. And I can tell you in some tough moments that you're going to have, just even with your child crying and you're going through a hormonal shift, right. At the same time, like, it'll be nice to be like, Oh, thank God. I don't have to prepare food right now. And I can support my hormones in this way. And hopefully it'll lift my mood up. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's, it is really nice to just have things at the ready to where you're not going, Oh, I've had my six week follow-up 
now I never see my doctor again. And even if I do, like they might not give me any might answers. Not even be able to help me. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, your problem is normal. Oh, well, go see a go see a PT yeah. or oh good. Like it's like, what? Maybe we should just have this information before it ever gets to that Health point. Advocate. Yeah. Right. And then one thing I want to add, um, because specialists are are there for a reason, right? So for the people that participate in my workshop, they are going to get a huge resource manual that they're going to be taking home, which does cover specific vitamins and minerals that they need to be paying attention That's to awesome. in their food, what they're related to with postpartum symptoms. They'll get all these pictures and exercises of pelvic floor stuff and with some mindset journaling, yes, all these things, but they're also going to get a whole list of providers that like in all different spaces of the postpartum world. So chiropractic, pediatric chiropractic, um, mental health resources, pelvic floor PTs. And I do, I have started a list of providers here in the Raleigh area, but then also people that are virtual. So all people all over the country can access these people. Um, so if you wanted to plan ahead with, if I have some PPA or some PPD that comes up, here's a mental health professional that I can reach out to and hopefully get right onto their list or hopefully get right into their office, even if it's through zoom. Um, and we have to have these conversations because postpartum issues are very real. Um, whether it's again, physical or mental, and we, we need to be prepared to support ourselves because other people aren't going to do it for us. And unfortunately, healthcare providers, they're not the best are not potentially going to be either. No one's going to come knock on your door and do the best evaluation. Like only you can do the best like evaluation on yourself. And I think to something you said earlier, like having um, self, I hate the word self-care, but like practices that bring you into yourself, whether that's journaling, walks in nature, whatever it is, will allow you to know if and when something's off. And it's also like the warning of like motherhood's abrasive no matter what. So it's like brace for impact and in the midst of the chaos that ensues that you could imagine when you have a screaming, crying baby in your house now that you've never had before, you can still find a way to come back home and be like, okay, how am I? And like, what is my baseline? Um, And I think having that resource kit is going to be absolutely incredible for people. So I can't wait. I can't wait to see it. Um, I know. Oh my God. I will say not that this is the biggest deal, but it aesthetically too, this take home guide it is freaking phenomenal. Um, Coco, the inspirationalist, she is the one that, that actually like created the look of my journal or of my workbook. And it is, it is freaking beautiful. So it's going to be nice for those moms afterwards, just to flip through this book that looks beautiful and has all this plethora of great information in it. Um, I'm super excited to get it started. And it's something that I'm going to do recurring because I want it to be as normal as taking a birth class. So totally. It's going to happen every year, several times a year. So beautiful. And the first in-person one is the 13th. May 13th. Yep. That's in Raleigh. Literally next weekend, if you're in Raleigh listening, the 20th will be virtual, which is Mm -hmm. a Saturday and I'll be speaking at it. Yes. Yes. And it's very, very exciting that you're going to be joining and hopefully um, in the future, you'll be able to join some more because- I, I can't wait for you to bring in this level of depth to the mindset discussion that I feel equipped with, but also am like going to learn so much from you when you come into the picture, because you just have this beautiful way of like verbalizing tangible things that people can think about and that they need to hear in order to 
come into their bodies in order to create that calm in their life in order to find neutrality and balance. Um, and so I'm just so excited for you to be a part of it. Cause you're, you're just going to add a level of depth that I wouldn't have had if it was just me. So I'm so, I'm so pumped. It's going to be super magical. I really am excited. And I think, um, you know, if the listeners take anything from today, like this is this conversation, even for me, like, I'm like, oh, I was back in the hospital, like thinking about my birth and that processing is healing. Right. And so it's like this conversation today created space for people to think about their birth, to bring more awareness and consciousness to what they're creating and how much power they have and how much their body can do for them. And then these workshops, you're in the process of holding and creating and, and gathering people are doing going to do the exact same thing. Like I get inspired when I'm in groups and like, wow, that's so cool that that person's doing it this way. Like there's also going to be collaboration. I feel like when someone like an inspiration shared by how people are preparing and how much consciousness people are bringing to this perinatal journey, that is, you know, literally how humans get on planet earth. So it's pretty freaking epic. And I uh, couldn't be more excited for you. So before I let you go, tell people where they can find you. We'll make sure we put the link in the show notes, um, which I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, but tell them where they can find you. Um, and then we'll have it in the show notes too. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram, um, as mind dot vital. Well, let me start over. (laughs) mind and body vitality. Um, it's a picture of me looking sideways with a white shirt on. And then on Facebook, you can also find me the same thing, mind and body vitality. And then my website is mind and body vitality.com. Um, that's where you can also sign up. So follow me, um, slide into my DMS. If you have any questions or whatever, like I am an open book with people and I love helping people. Um, so please like never feel too shy or scared to to reach out. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for being here for all that you know, this was so fun. I feel like we could do, maybe we shall do a part two after we get a couple workshops. I'm glad you said that because I was just thinking, I'm like, we need to do a part two and it needs to be on fourth trimester experiences. I'm inviting myself back. Yeah. Let's just call it part one. That's what we'll do. This is part one. Stay tuned for part two and we'll have a postpartum. Um, And again, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Kara. I had so much fun.